Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I will have an hour of entertainment, commentary, hopefully knowledge, sharing some knowledge. I look forward to some real interesting topics today. My main focus here at Business Buzz is just to make sure that you're aware of what's happening and kind of a lot of times I like to give you a second opinion. Being a CPA all day long, I'm mainly doing income taxes. My business is heavily involved in income tax preparation, tax planning. I do small business bookkeeping. I do a lot of business tax returns also. I'm not the type of CPA firm that has 20 people with uh, 12 bookkeepers and eight tax preparers. I'm more of a small office, but it's really interesting just how many how many new clients have popped up this year. A lot of people that had fire damage from the campfire, they ended up needing help because sometimes people like that don't ever have to uh, have any complications. But if they lost their house, there's always a lot of tax questions to see, you know, to make sure that they're not missing anything. The main thing I've seen with all the fire victims generally this year is that most of them end up with a gain if they had good insurance that paid off a full value of their residence. And on top of that, they made a gain and they still own the land. So in the future, if people start rebuilding in paradise, they'll be able to also uh, sell their land and probably get a little more cash out of the deal. So overall, that would be my main take. Uh, of course, there were there were some people who were not um, not insured, which was pretty sad. And those people end up with some big tax losses called casualty losses. But generally, other than the loss of things you can't replace and uh, pets and things that might have had a problem, uh, actually, I'm fortunate that none of my clients had any deaths. I do have one client who actually has medical injuries because he was racing out of his house and he somehow tripped and broke his leg on the stairway that's the closest I've come to a guy that almost got consumed by the fire, but I, my clients luckily didn't have any deaths uh, that I've been made aware of yet. So that's the, the good news out of that. But Business Buzz is the show where I give you a lot of as much business information as I can convey. I talk about taxes also. A lot of, a lot of the time during this past, past few months, I've been talking about the new tax law and the effects it had on some things that are important to a lot of people. I try not to discuss a whole lot of topics that don't apply to very many. The topics I do talk about tax-wise are usually the ones that a lot of people can relate to. But today, I'm not getting real heavy into the tax stuff. I think I've, I've filled in on everything I think is important lately, but... What I do want to talk about is some of the, just some local business news, California business news, and the first article I wanted to share, it came from the Enterprise Record, and uh, I think it was just from, uh, let me see, it was from just a few days ago, and the title of this article is California Median Price Sets Record But Home Sales Weak. And it's just a good summary of the California real estate market. In April of 2019, uh, home sales were lackluster in April. See, it's important because one of the main assets a lot of people have is their home. And if you've got a lot of home equity, that can go up and down very fast, as we all found out in 2007 and 2008 and 2009, where we had that big downturn. Now, it seems like prices are mainly up. They're back up. I heard another article. I didn't bring the actual statistics. The major markets, most of them are higher now than they were at the height in 06 and 07, which means that it looks like we're in a another real estate bubble. Now, remember, at the time of 06 and 07, interest rates were higher than they are now. So if you think of it that way, maybe we aren't really much higher uh, if you think of it that way, because remember, I've told you when if interest rates go up, the price of houses generally will go down because of the fact that less people can afford the mortgage. When you have an industry like 
residences that's pretty much based on 95% of them are bought through a bank loan and a mortgage. When the mortgage comes into play, the interest rate scenery will totally affect the prices of the houses. If I was shopping for a house right now and the rates are around 4% for, I think they're about 5% for a 30-year loan. If I was shopping for a house and the rates are 5%, then I've got a certain amount of money I can afford to borrow and pay for with a 5% mortgage over 30 years. But if interest rates all of a sudden are 6 or 7% and my wages haven't gone up, which is, which is another segment of this whole economy, we've got all these prices higher with stocks and bonds and housing, but wages in general don't keep up with those big rises. If interest rates were to go to 6 or 7%, then my monthly payment that I've budgeted for 5%, and of course you have to remember the buyer has to pay property tax and insurance also, and the maintenance. Now I can only afford, let's say before I had it budgeted where I could afford a $300,000 mortgage, so I'd buy a house maybe for three fifty. Well, now if the interest rates go up, I can only afford a $250,000 mortgage. So with my down payment of 50, I can only buy a house worth three. That's how home prices fluctuate with interest rates. In 06 and 07, interest rates weren't as low as they are now. They've been artificially lowering the interest for about 10 years. They brought it back up a little bit. But the funny thing about interest rates lately is they brought them back up, but they didn't. the market didn't really respond. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. But right now, I just wanted to kind of go over a little bit about the home sales. So uh, we're not out of the woods here. The statewide median home price set another record high in April, hitting 602. Wow. So the median home, and remember, median is one of the, there's three different types of averages. Median is the average where half of the sales are above it and half of the sales are below it. It's not an addition thing where they add up all the sales prices. So in April of 2019, in the state of California, half of all the homes sold sold for 603,000, and half of all the holds or 603 or more, and half of all the homes sold for less than 603. That and the previous high was a little less than that, and that was set last summer. So the high, the prices that of the homes that are, are are sold is going up. But the number of homes sold is going down. So the price in April was up 6.5% from March's price median. That's high. And it's up 3% from the 584000 in April of 2018. So April of 2019, which is probably the latest month they've got, because right now May hasn't been gone for that long, April of 2019 saw house prices increase statewide by quite a bit over the previous month and over the previous year. Now, to me, that's not necessarily good news because the hotter this market starts looking like a bubble, the worse it could be if something pops. That's sort of like it was, remember back in 05 and 06 where Chico house prices, they were going up by about 20% a year for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, boom, they went right back down. That's that's why it's it's better to have slow general general increases than have these big bubbles uh, that that go real high and then pop. Interesting. Uh, even in San Francisco Bay Area, sales were down. Uh, there were annual sales increases in San Francisco and a few other counties, but there were decreases in some of the other counties. More of the outliers. And the median home price increased from a year ago in all regions except the San Francisco Bay Area. So the Bay Area didn't have that increase that the rest of the state had. Now, that could be that could be a sign. I'm not sure if you were to look at San Francisco prices versus California prices over the last 20 years, maybe we could see a correlation where San Francisco Bay Area prices are a leading indicator, which means when they go down, usually the other ones follow. I'm not sure of that, but that it just seems to me that that could be the case, but I'm not sure. Now, what I want to talk about next are some of the interest rates. Now, the 30-year fixed mortgage rate averaged 4.14% in April. 
down from 4.47 a year ago. Okay, that's the number we're going to talk about next. If you've ever bought a home and you've ever shopped for mortgages, and if you haven't, I'll tell you how it works. When you look for mortgages, the interest rate is always lower when the term is lower. You may be looking at a house and say you're going to borrow $200,000, and they'll quote you like this in amount here. They'll quote you, okay, it's 4% for a 30-year loan, but a 15-year loan is 3.5%. It's almost always that way with mortgages. Let's break that down a little bit just so you understand where I'm going with my next topic. My next topic has to do with the entire U.S. economy, but we're going to learn about it through talking about these mortgage rates. If you're a bank and you're not going to get the principal paid back to you when you loan to the borrower, let's say I'm buying a house and the bank lends to me the $200,000, if I'm not going to pay it, if I'm going to pay it back over a 30-year period, in other words, they're not going to get the last payment of their principal until 30 years from now, they're going to charge more than if they were going to get the principal sooner and they were going to get their last principal back from me in 15 years. And I hope that that seems logical to you because that's where I'm going with the next little uh, bit of information I'm going to be talking about today on Business Buzz. So that would be normal. Now, here's another thing. Let's just say that you have a friend who wants to borrow some money. And he says, I need to borrow $1,000. And you say, well, I've got $1,000, but I do need it back, and I'm going to have to charge interest. Then you ask your friend, how long do you need to borrow it for? In other words, when will you pay me back the $1,000? So just like with the mortgage lender, like the bank, you would say, well, look, if you only need this money for a month, I can, if you only need the money for a month, I don't have to charge you that high of an interest rate. But if you need it for 20 years, I'm not sure I want to wait that long to get that, that principal back. So in order to pay me for the pain of being without my principal that I might use for something else, I might buy some hot flying uh, Amazon stock. I might buy some Apple stock. I might buy some, I might buy an ounce of gold or almost one. So if you're going to only pay me back in 20 years, I'm going to need to charge you more of an interest rate. That would be the logic. And that sort of matches the logic that I was talking about with the mortgage lenders. Here's the problem. And this is the, the title of this little section of my talk today should be What's wrong with this picture? And what we're going to talk about now is the U.S. Treasury. And I've got some new numbers here. The U.S. Treasury loans money for rates all the way from one month to 30 years. The normal situation with that type of lending, which that's what it is, it's lending. When you, if you buy a treasury bond, they are borrowing and you are lending that money with the full faith and credit of the U.S. government backing it up. So here's the problem. If your friend wants to borrow for 20 years, you need to charge him more than if he was going to borrow for one month. I mean, one month is a very short, very short period in financial terms. So you would expect that when the U.S. government is borrowing money, you would expect them to demand a higher amount in the 20-year section than in the one-month section, just like we've been talking about. Here's the problem, and this is the what's wrong with this picture. As of June 3rd, which is yesterday, the one-month treasury bill, they were paying a higher rate for one month than they would pay you for 20 years. So now remember, when you buy a treasury bond, you're the lender. 
if you're going to lend, just like we were talking about with your friend, if you're going to lend for 20 years, wouldn't you need to demand a higher rate than you would if you were going to lend for one month? Well, the answer should be yes, and it probably should be probably at least a double kind of rate. I mean, that's a, that's a huge difference. When we come back from the first break, I'm going to let you know why things are not as they seem and there's something wrong with this picture. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. Hey, guys. Ken here from Income Store. Did you know of the top 10 reasons an employee stays at a company for more than two years? The seventh reason is the pay or the salary. The first six reasons have nothing to do with money. Things like they feel part of a team, they know they belong, their voice is heard, they're respected. Also, employees go through five phases within a couple days to six months of any new position. Excitement, education, reality, doubt, then clarity. Did you know it's a manager's job to walk them to clarity as fast as possible? If you need to know these fundamental principles, fundamental, did I just say that? I'm going to leave that in. If you need to know these fundamental principles, I can't say this. <laughs> this is awesome. This is like a blooper roll. Hey, you know what? If you need tips and techniques like this to grow your business today, you got to check out door number one of Income Store. If you just need somebody to literally hold your hand and get you to the finish line, check out door number two of IncomeStore.com. That's IncomeStore.com. Two Nicks. That's right, double Nicks. Nick Guy, Private Eye, and Mr. Nick of We Kids. Nick Must be true. Saturday mornings between 9 and 10 here on KK Nick Snacks. We're now broadcasting to Chico and Paradise on the FM dial at 104.5 FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. We've been talking about some housing prices, but we're also talking about interest rates. And I led into this next segment teasing you about something's wrong with this picture. Here's the way it is happening in the Treasury yield world as of June 3rd of 2019. If you want to give Uncle Sam some money, in other words, lend him some money and he'll pay you interest for 20 years, the rate you can receive on that 20-year note or bond, I'm not sure 20 years is probably called a bond, is 2.34%. So you say, wow, do I really think I know what's going to be happening within 20 years? Do I really think I can be happy with 2.34% coming back to me every three months for 20 years? Of course, that's the annual rate. That would be very risky to buy something that would only pay you that much money over a 20-year period. You don't know what's going to happen with inflation, with anything over 20 years. That's a long time. Ah, but here's the catch, and this is what I've been telling my clients. Some of my clients have a bunch of money from the fire fire damage that they've got extra money in the bank now. And they will ask me, what do you think I should, what do I think they should do with it? Well, one thing I've been telling them is you can buy a short term us note. And I think it's called a bill and you can buy a one month term and earn 2.36%. So why in the world would anybody buy a 20 year bond at 2.34% when they could buy a one-month bond at 2.36, and in case something goes weird, they can get their money back in one month. Now, they can buy a three-month and get 2.35. Now, here's the thing about this yield curve. The normal yield curve should be going up from the short times to the long times. This yield curve starts at one month is only two point, is 2.36%. It goes down until you get to three years, then it starts going up a little bit. But even at the 20-year level, the one month is paying higher than the 20-year. That's incredible. It's called the inverted yield curve, 
And every time it happens, we have a recession within 10 to 12 months of this yield curve inverting. Now, this thing started inverting a few months ago. I think it was in around December, January. And it's the inversion's gotten worse and worse. I'm waiting for the one month to beat the 30-year. Now, it isn't quite there yet. The 30-year, as of June 3rd, paid 2.53. The one month paid 2.36. There's something wrong here when the yield curve is inverted like this. What I will say is this. When you hear on the news that the Fed has increased rates, here's what's happening. They're trying to increase rates all across the board, but they're not getting the job done. They are in the rates they actually increase are the shortest term rates of all. They're like the Fed funds rate, which is like the rate that the banks borrow from the Fed overnight. It's a very short term rate. That's the one they increase. And normally, if they're increasing that rate, the whole line should line up behind that increasing. The problem is, it isn't. And it's a very strange thing when the yield curve has inverted because it almost always signals an economic downturn coming up. It's what's called a leading indicator, as I said. So that's something to keep in mind. If your broker says, oh, let's put your money into some bonds, if you're looking for the return on your investment and also to get your money back, you might just tell him, hey, let's go with a three-month instead of a 20-year because I don't want to be locked in that long in case interest rates go up. If interest rates go down, yeah, you could get your money back in three months and lose a little, but who knows? There's no way to tell, but just gambling-wise, who would lock up their money for 20 years to earn less than they could do for locking it up for one month? That's called the yield curve inversion, and uh, if you've never heard of it before, you can tell them that Business Buzz is the one who Business Buzz is the one who taught you that. Okay, my next discussion is about the retail apocalypse. And they're just talking about how it's dragging on. And the headline of this article that came from a website called Business businessinsider.com, and the author's name is Haley Peterson. It's from the end of May. It says more than 7,000 stores are closing in 2019 as the retail apocalypse drags on. Here's the full list. And then they, uh, they mention a few highlights, like, for instance, more than 7,000 stores are expected to close in 2019. Dress Barn, that's a chain, is going out of business and closing all of its 650 stores. Uh, Charlotte Russe Family Dollar and Chico's, and I know there's a Chico's here in Chico at the Chico Mall, I've never been in there, but I've seen it. They announced more than 1,100 store closures in a span of 24 hours recently. Payless Shoe Source plans to close all of its 2,500 stores in what could be the largest retail liquidation in history. So I just wanted to point out that uh, things are not wonderful all over. And what really, the part that bothers me the most, oh, Family Dollar, that's another one of those dollar chains. They're going to close uh, 390 stores under the Family Dollar brand. Hmm. There's a, the Gap. Everybody knows the Gap. That one's been around forever. Closing uh, 230 stores over the next two years. And the reason they cite is the, the brand's same store sales fell 7% during the holiday quarter. The company also said it would spin off its Old Navy brand. So that's a real telling uh, statistic is the one they use a lot in the retail industry called same-store sales. In other words, you can't take total sales of something like The Gap and make sense of their total sales figure. Maybe it goes up by 10%, but maybe that happened when they added 12% new stores. That wouldn't be a fair way to analyze it. So the way they analyze sales is same-store sales. And it turns out that the same-store sales for the gap fell 7% during the holiday quarter. And I can only speak for myself. I always do try to support local businesses. 
but I can tell you it's been a long time since I've gone to the Chico Mall and actually done any real shopping. I know a lot of the malls springing up that are doing well, the newer ones and the more modern ones, the reason they're doing well is they have a lot of restaurants, bars, theaters, things like that. That's what brings people out to the mall these days. It's not really the same shopping world that it used to be. And I'm sure we all remember that when we were younger. I mean, I was a young kid growing up. I was growing up in the late 60s in the East Bay. And our mall that was near where I lived was called Southland Mall. And it was first indoor mall I had ever seen. And that was just, I mean, that was just it. I mean, indoor malls sprang up all over the country over the next what, probably 30 years before they started declining. Even Victoria's Secret is closing 53 stores this year. So, you know, these are the kind of articles that you got to at least look at. Office Depot closing 50 stores between Office Depot and Office Max. Well, I hope they keep the Chico one open because I do use that and I enjoy going there. So that's just a little bit about the retail world not being as... uh, not being as wonderful as everybody would uh, want you to believe it is. That's, you know, just, it's just kind of a bummer. But, oh, what I was saying about the local retails when they close, like Payless Shoe Source, I know there's one of those in Chico. Hopefully the Chicos and the Sears and those aren't going to be closing in Chico. I haven't heard that. Well, Sears is already closed, but I mean, Kmart and those, I hope they aren't closing. CVS is going to be closing some too. Think of it this way. Look at those jobs that are lost. There's another 20, 30, maybe more people who are out of work and going to have to file for unemployment and look around for a new place to work. It's really sad when a, when a store closes. Hopefully some of these closings, they do try to, I know they do try to get them going to other stores in the same chain, like maybe offer them a job and Sacramento or something, but maybe that store doesn't have openings. So, you know, openings for jobs. That is really the sad part is the local economy suffers when local jobs go away. I'm coming up on the bottom of the hour. I'll be right back with more business buzz. We got some more interesting news. I'll be back right after this message. I'm Scott Allred. I'm Ben Taney. And I'm Matt Four. This is Jessica Wilkerson, one of your hosts of Chico Now. A half hour designed for the community and brought to you by the community. Each day, one of our hosts will join with people from organizations throughout the greater Chico area. We want to let you know what's happening in Chico Now. So join us at 1230 Monday through Friday here on KKXX for Chico Now. I've often said that if you see the temple under construction, if I were you, I'd pack my bags, the Lord's coming. The Bible actually never says that uh, it will be built after the rapture. We just know that during the tribulation, that temple will be there. It could start to be built before the rapture, easily. David Hawking tells us what the rebuilding of the temple means for planet Earth. This week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. Hamilton was adopted from a rescue in 2008. He really likes to be around people. I get out my mat and I'm doing a downward dog and he's underneath. He's quite the pug about town. He gets invited to a lot of parties. He knows he's a pretty big deal. Look at this little face. I mean, you know, I love him. Hamilton the Pug, Instagram star and shelter pet. Amazing adoption stories start in shelters. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Just for a moment, consider how much you pay each month for cable or satellite, video rentals, or for a movie in the theater each month. Or how about each year? Let's be honest, how often do any of these really have positive messages? Now consider that we as a station bring you positive entertainment, encouragement, and ministry 24-7. What is that worth to you? If every listener gave just a few dollars to our program, our ministry would grow exponentially. We would like to thank all of our listeners for financially supporting our teaching and talk program. Tell your friends about Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM.
Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm hoping that you're enjoying the nice warm afternoon and I'm thankful that you have a little chance to spend part of your afternoon with me. I know how busy things get. It's hard for me to tear away sometimes when I need to be here to broadcast Business Buzz. It's uh, always something else I can be working on, but I do enjoy sharing as much knowledge as I can share, so that's why I'm here. I talk quite a bit about gold as being uh, money insurance, but a lot of people don't understand how all this trouble that we're in came to be, all this deficit, all these crazy numbers that I've talked about before. So I looked up an article that is very very apropos. In fact, it just came out. This one just came out on June 3rd, which isn't long ago at all. And of course, I get it from my favorite uh, news website called zerohedge.com. And uh, the author of this is called Duino Schiappa Pietra. Sounds like a Italian name or something. But The title of this is, and you can go to zerohedge.com and find this. It's called From Gold to Nothing, How 1971 Changed Everything in the Economy. So I wanted to share this article. It's not real long, and it's very informative because it'll give you some education as to how we got into this mess that I keep talking about, how we got into it in the first place. The monetary system is a major component of the whole economic system. Despite that, today we take it for granted And don't even ask ourselves how it works and if it is the best solution available or the correct way to manage things. Even though it appears to be stable, history shows that monetary systems changed periodically in the last century, 20 to 30 years, every 20 to 30 years on average. The main difference between our current monetary system and previous monetary system is that today it is entirely based on fiat currency. In contrast to older monetary systems, that were backed by gold. Now remember, I've explained before, that means that what we call money is a government-issued currency that has zero intrinsic value and is not backed by anything. From 1971, this kind of system allows central banks to literally control the economy and open a new chapter in the world monetary system. In this article, I am going to briefly explain why 1971 changed everything and what are potential consequences of such a decision? And then a little header says, Since 1971, the world runs on fiat currencies that are not gold-backed in any way. This changes everything. Before digging into it, we have to review some history. And this little title is The Bretton Woods System and Its Collapse. Towards the end of World War II, peace was a real concern, and it was clear that the world needed a new monetary system able to support the economy. In fact, one of the major reasons that led to World War II was the failure in dealing with economic problems after World War I. Why it was needed and how it worked. The Bretton Woods Agreement was signed at a conference between Allied nations in 1944. Before the agreement, most countries followed the gold standard, meaning that each country guaranteed to redeem its currency into gold. After Bretton Woods, countries agreed to exchange their currency for U.S. dollars. Central banks committed to keep fixed exchange rates with the dollar, while the U.S. committed to keep the parity between U.S. dollars and gold at one thirty-fifth of an ounce of gold. Well, the inverse of that math is that gold was valued at $35 an ounce. The dollar was backed by gold at one thirty-fifth of an ounce, that's per dollar, and foreign countries committed to keep fixed interest rates with the U.S. dollar. Why U.S. dollars? In those years, U.S. held... Two-thirds of the world's gold reserves and after the war was obviously the most influential player among nations. This put the U.S. into a dominant position and Bretton Woods paved the way for the shift from the gold standard to the U.S. dollar standard. Then this next little header is called the collapse of the system. The Bretton Woods system worked for a while and allowed for economic growth, but unfortunately, a series of imbalances brought the system to its end in a matter of three decades from its inception. Toward the 1970s, United States were facing a period of stagflation, a situation where you have high inflation coupled with a recession, something very bad for the economy. In the attempt of resolving the situation, 
the U.S. started devaluing the dollar and kept running deficits to fund various projects. The parity between dollar and gold was the cardinal element of the Bretton Woods system. After it changed, the whole monetary agreement soon after collapsed. Every country started quickly to redeem their devaluing dollars for gold, generating a run on the U.S. gold reserves. In response, on August 15, 1971, Richard Nixon broke up the Bretton Woods Agreement, ending the convertibility of the dollar in gold. 1971, a new chapter for the world. What replaced Bretton Woods and how things changed since then? Since Nixon took the entire world out of gold in 1971, the world began this experiment of a full fiat monetary system backed by nothing. Remember, fiat means like fiat lukes, let there be light. Uh, This would be let there be money. Nobody knows how things will play out in the end, but the fact that this system has been running for almost 50 years now, that historically fiat system had a 100% failure rate, and that bigger and bigger imbalances are being created are factors worth considering. To put things in perspective, once the currency is no longer commodity-backed, central banks can create as much currency as they want. Even though this comes in handy, whereas there is a need to fight a recession, it seems that it went out of control. We now have a full fiat monetary system, and central banks can create as much currency as they want. This is a problem for two reasons. The purchasing power of the currency gets progressively wiped out. The monetary expansion creates a high degree of distortion in the economy. Purchasing power of the currency. How do you feel when you look at this chart? And it's a chart of the U.S. dollar going down from 100 in 1913 at the start of the Federal Reserve to about 5 cents in, uh, this is written, this is talking about 2013. Although it speaks by itself, take a moment to realize that the dollar has lost 95% of its purchasing power in just 100 years. As money printing progresses, the situation can only deteriorate, and it is a problem for the individuals because it makes it virtually impossible to save money. You can't just save, you are bound to invest, at least to keep the purchasing power. Given the overall decrease in asset returns, it also forces you to go on riskier investments to have some acceptable returns. Now, as an aside, I want to mention, I've been mentioning that for a long time. The reason the stock market is so high is that that's where people's extra money goes because where else are you going to get any kind of return? At least the theoretical supposed to get a return. So it says, this might actually be the real problem because money or currency is one of the most important variables in the economic system. And if it gets manipulated, this doesn't come without consequences. When you take a look at the degree of distortion in today's economy, there is a real chance that this situation won't end up well. To get an idea of the massive manipulation of the entire economy that is going on, start by assessing the expansion of the monetary base. And it goes to show that the monetary base, which means the amount of money in circulation, he says, as you can see, the quantity of currency almost quintupled in a matter of a single decade. And this was all currency created in order to keep the economy going. This is crazy, and while it helped to postpone a slowdown in the economy, it fostered a huge debt assumption that sooner or later will result in a burden for the economy. The problem with this monetary system is that it can't balance the forces of the free market. The gold standard had a huge, huge advantage over it because it was self-balancing since the overall amount of money was fixed. Without a conscious effort to limit excesses, greater and greater imbalances start to appear. Cracks start to show up, and the system is under threat. This also caused other distortions like the push of stock market valuations that are now in bubble territory. So there is almost a perfect correlation between expanding the monetary base and increasing stock prices. You can also see that as monetary policy tried to start to raise interest rates, uncertainty on the markets promptly showed up, and now the Fed already changed its strategy. We might see soon a new monetary expansion. The problem is that this time it would happen before a crisis, and it leaves us with a huge question. What to do then when we enter the real crisis? So the conclusion is without any connection with a fixed quantity of gold, 
The monetary system currently has no limits for currency creation. The fact that financial crisis is getting bigger and bigger and levels of debt are getting higher and higher is a direct consequence of money printing. Today we find ourselves in an economy that is slowing down levels of debt never seen before, frighteningly high financial market valuations, and less tools to fight the next crisis. So anyway, that's just a real good article that I encourage you to read that kind of thing. Go to Zero Hedge and look up some of their financial articles. We are 48 years into the currency we've got since 1971. As I've said before, the average life of a currency through history is about 27 years. So we're already over the average lifespan. And if they do start printing more and more money, if they double that deficit again from $10 trillion to $20 trillion to $40 trillion, there's just uh, it's getting to the point where it's almost it's almost a joke even talking about anything getting repaid. I don't think there will ever be any repayment of any of this debt. And my solution to that, at least for part of your money, is to buy money insurance and own a little physical gold so that if and when the currency in your bank account and your 401k account become nearly worthless or very, very low, you will alternatively have insured your money by owning some gold that will likely be a good, safe thing to have in the future. And I also like to remind you that on Business Buzz, the negatives sound, sometimes they sound negative, but I consider that a positive because you've got a heads up. Well, we're coming up on the final segment. I'll be right back after these messages. I'm glad you're here with me. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back. Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. In Canada, a 14-year-old girl has been ordered by the British Columbia Supreme Court to receive testosterone injections over the objections of her father. You see, tragically, the court says he cannot refer to his daughter by her name or use female pronouns. When talking to her in public or private, he must use male pronouns or be arrested. When she was 12 years old, his daughter was treated as a transgender boy at school without parental knowledge. And then the father was convicted simply for refusing to accept his daughter's new gender identity. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. This is you over 30 years ago. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And this is your mom now. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. We've got a little time left. I've got one more article of education, and then I'll have a little article of inspiration to finish our afternoon together on a very positive note. So this next article I wanted to talk about is, it's again, I found it on Zero Hedge. I read them every day. They keep you posted on a lot of political stuff and a lot of financial stuff. They're not perfect, but... They're a lot better than some of the some of the basic ones like CNN and MSNBC. 
So the title of this article is, and of course you could see why this would attract my attention with the things that I discuss here, the Fed has already admitted where the next crisis will start. And this is dated uh, June 4th. For those who pay attention, the Fed has already broadcast what the next crisis will be, corporate bonds. When the Fed cut interest rates to zero in 2008 and held them there for seven years straight, it gave the green light to corporations to go on massive bar- a massive borrowing spree. After all, if you're the CEO of a company and taking on debt suddenly costs nothing, why wouldn't you start borrowing? It took U.S. corporates 50 years to hit $3 trillion in debt. They doubled that in eight years thanks to the Fed's zero interest rate policy, and that's called ZIRP, Z-I-R-P. So uh, I'm going to backtrack just to emphasize what we just saw there. In 50 years, corporate debt reached $3 trillion. Then in the next eight years, they doubled that to $6 trillion. That's an incredible increase in the amount of debt. So I'm going to continue. All of this new debt was based on the idea that interest rates would stay near zero forever. Put another way, the entire U.S. corporate sector has become one gigantic leveraged bet on interest rates staying low. If you don't believe me, the New York Fed admitted this in a piece published last week. In simple terms, the Fed is admitting that the concentration of highly leveraged corporations has opened the door to a crisis. So we know what's going to cause the next crisis. Now the question is, when will it hit? The market is telling us, quote, soon. And then it shows a junk bond chart where it's starting a decline. And it shows the stock price, S&P 500, starting a decline. The other problem with this, it's almost like it's both sides of the equation are messed up because a lot of the corporate debt borrowing was in order to buy back its share price, its own shares. So there's been a lot of borrowing over the last 10 years by corporations who borrow at 0% or very close to zero and buy back their own shares. When they buy back their own shares, it increases the income per share of the company, and hence it does tend to inflate the share price of the stock. That is one of the main warning signs that's been going on the last, uh, like this says, since 08, when the Fed made it zerp, zero interest rate. They've raised rates a little bit, but like I was showing you in the yield curve inversion, it really hasn't settled in. Just, there's something wrong with the economy. The yield curve inversion, like I said before, is a very telling indicator, which is a, it's a uh, leading indicator of a recession always follows a yield inversion. Okay, enough about the economy. I want to leave today, I want to leave today feeling good. So I brought just, just the just the just the prescription for that if you're familiar with my if you're familiar with my favorite book it's called a course in miracles and i'm going to share uh chapter 21 part 2 and it's called the title of this section is the responsibility for sight So I'm just going to start in. Just relax and listen. If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but relax and listen. I find this very calming. We have repeated how little is asked of you to learn this course. And I'll just throw in right now. Remember, I've told you that the goal of the Course in Miracles is peace of mind. That's the goal. We have repeated how little is asked of you to learn this course. It is the same small willingness you need to have your whole relationship transformed to joy, the little gift you offer to the Holy Spirit for which he gives you everything, the very little on which salvation rests, the tiny change of mind by which the crucifixion is changed to resurrection. And being true, it is so simple that it cannot fail to be completely understood. Rejected, yes, but not ambiguous. And if you choose against it now, it will not be because it is obscure, but rather that this little cost seemed in your judgment to be too much to pay for peace. 
This is the only thing that you need to do for vision, happiness, release from pain, and the complete escape from sin, all to be given you. Say only this, but mean it with no reservations, for here the power of salvation lies. I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience, and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me I ask for and receive as I have asked. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge but that you have been mistaken, and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. It is impossible the Son of God be merely driven by events outside of him. It is impossible that happenings that come to him were not his choice. His power of decision is the determiner of every situation in which he seems to find himself by chance or accident. No accident nor chance is possible within the universe as God created it, outside of which is nothing. Suffer, and you decided sin was your goal. Be happy, and you gave the power of decision to him who must decide for God for you. This is the little gift you offer to the Holy Spirit, and even this he gives you to give yourself. For by this gift is given you the power to release your Savior, that he may give salvation unto you. And I'm going to interject right here when they bring up the word sin. The original meaning of the word sin was to miss the mark. And what the Course talks about, when it talks about sin, it's not talking about behavior. It's talking about not being in the right mind. It's talking about putting all of your eggs into the worldly basket of thinking that everything you see is the most important thing as opposed to being in the right mind, which steps back and observes all of your thoughts. So I'm going to continue. Begrudge not then this little offering. Withhold it, and you keep the world as now you see it. Give it away, and everything you see goes with it. Never was so much given for so little. In the holy instant is this exchange effected and maintained. Here is the world you do not want brought to the one you do. And here the one you do is given you because you want it. Yet for this, the power of your wanting must first be recognized. You must accept its strength and not its weakness. You must perceive that what is strong enough to make a world can let it go and can accept correction if it is willing to see that it was wrong. The world you see is but the idle witness that you were right. This witness is insane. You trained it in its testimony, and as it gave it back to you, you listened and convinced yourself that what it saw was true. You did this to yourself. See only this, and you will also see how circular the reasoning on which your seeing rests. This was not given you. This was your gift to you and to your brother. Be willing, then, to have it taken from him and be replaced with truth. And as you look upon the change in him, it will be given you to see it in yourself. Perhaps you do not see the need for you to give this little offering. Look closer then at what it is, and very simply see in it the whole exchange of separation for salvation. All that the ego is is an idea that it is possible that things could happen to the Son of God without his will, and thus without the will of his Creator, whose will cannot be separate from his own. This is the Son of God's replacement for his will, a mad revolt against what must forever be. This is the statement that he has the power to make God powerless and so to take it for himself and leave himself without what God has willed for him. This is the mad idea you have enshrined upon your altars and which you worship. And anything that threatens this seems to attack your faith, for here is it invested. Think not that you are faithless, for your belief and trust in this is strong indeed. The Holy Spirit can give you faith in holiness and vision to see it easily enough, but you have not left open and unoccupied the altar where the gifts belong. Where they should be, you have set up your idols to something else. The other will, which seems to tell you what must happen, you give reality, and what would show you otherwise must therefore seem unreal. All that is asked of you is to make room for truth. You are not asked to make or do what lies beyond your understanding. All you are asked to do is let it in, only to stop your interference with what will happen of itself, simply to recognize again the presence of what you thought you gave away. 
Be willing for an instant to leave your altars free of what you placed upon them, and what is really there you cannot fail to see. The holy instant is not an instant of creation, but of recognition. For recognition comes of vision and suspended judgment. Then only it is possible to look within and see what must be there plainly in sight and wholly independent of interference and judgment. Undoing is not your task, but it is up to you to welcome it or not. Faith and desire go hand in hand, for everyone believe in what he wants. We have already said that wishful thinking is how the ego deals with what it wants to make it so. There is no better demonstration of the power of wanting and therefore of faith to make its goals seem real and possible. Faith in the unreal leads to adjustments of reality to make it fit the goal of madness. The goal of sin induces the perception of a fearful world to justify its purpose. What you desire, you will see. And if its reality was false, you will uphold it by not realizing all the adjustments you have introduced to make it so. When vision is denied, confusion of cause and effect becomes inevitable. The purpose now becomes to keep obscure the cause of the effect and to make effect appear to be a cause. This seeming independence of effect enables it to be regarded as standing by itself and capable of serving as a cause of the events and feelings its maker thinks it causes. Earlier we spoke of your desire to create your own creator and be father and not son to him. This is the same desire. The son is the effect whose cause he would deny. And so he seems to be the cause producing real effects. Nothing can have effects without a cause. And to confuse the two is merely to fail to understand them both. It is as needful that you recognize you made the world you see as that you recognize that you did not create yourself. They are the same mistake. Nothing created not by your creator has any influence over you. And if you think what you have made can tell you what you see and feel and place your faith in its ability to do so, you are denying your creator and believing that you made yourself. For if you think the world you made has power to make you what it wills, you are confusing son and father, effect and source. The son's creations are like his father's. Yet in creating them, the son does not delude himself that he is independent of his source. His union with it is the source of his creating. Apart from this, he has no power to create, and what he makes is meaningless. It changes nothing in creation, depends entirely upon the madness of his maker, and cannot serve to justify the madness. Your brother thinks he made the world with you. Thus he denies creation. With you he thinks the world he made made him. Thus he denies he made it. Yet the truth is you and your brother were both created by a loving father who created you together and as one. See what proves otherwise and you deny your whole reality. But grant that everything that seems to stand between you and your brother, keeping you from each other and separate from your father, you made in secret and the instant of release has come to you. All its effects are gone because its source has been uncovered. It is its seeming independence of its source that keeps you prisoner. This is the same mistake as thinking you are independent of the source by which you were created and have never left. So that's a little heavy duty, but it's really, it's really all just that one same lesson over and over in this 1,300-page book. And that lesson is you have two minds, and you need to use the right side of your mind more often and to train yourself not to get caught up in your thoughts and let them pull you around all day. You need to train yourself to at least at least take a few minutes every day and step back and observe your thoughts and come from that you're coming from that place. It's that place inside you that is like the real you. That's what this book is saying. And it does bring you peace to do it that way. It helps me a lot. I hope it helps you. Thanks for joining me on Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn CPA. I'll see you soon. Take care. And have a great rest of your afternoon. KKX.
KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR. This hour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. The first 2020 Democrat presidential candidate is giving up. California Congressman Eric Swalwell will instead file for re-election. Today ends our presidential campaign. The California congressman had hoped to make the race a generational issue, going after the frontrunner during the first debate. Joe Biden was right when he said it was time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans 32 years ago. He's still right today. That message failed to connect with voters. As for an endorsement? I'm really impressed with uh, you know the 